Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. Your word says that it's like uh, rain and snow and dew that it always goes forth to do what you have set forth for it to do, Lord. And this morning, uh, I pray that that's what would happen with your word this morning, Lord, that you would go forth and uh, water and uh, nourish the soil of our hearts uh, how you have prepared us for this morning, Lord. I pray that uh, this morning your words would come forth, not mine, Lord. Uh, yeah, we just pray that you would, you would tune our, our hearts to hear what your word has to say this morning, in Jesus' name. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, turn to uh, the book of 1 John, right near the book of Revelation. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, they're around the edges of the room. Feel free to, free to grab one. If you don't have one at home, feel free to take that one home with you. So hey, we're just going to start out a new, uh, new series, I guess, in the book of 1 John. First uh, John was written by, uh, most scholars believe, by the same John that wrote or penned um, the Gospel of John as well as Revelation. Um, it was written near the end of his life, near the end of the first century. Uh, many guys figure he was probably in his 90s, similar time to when he would have uh, recorded the words in the book of Revelation at the time that he wrote this book. Um, as we cruise through this book, there's a couple things that I, I think we'll, we'll notice. Is it's not necessarily, as so often scripture is not necessarily comfortable. I keep on getting reminded of this. Every time I actually start digging into any passage or any book, I go, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll have a familiar verse in mind that sounds really, really comfortable and comforting. And then I have verses that challenge me in my walk and kind of put me back in my place and remind me that God is God and I am not. And we'll see that First John... Is going to do that for us. It's going to provide tests for our faith. It's going to talk about fellowshipping. And it's also going to give us the assurance that we can know that we are saved and have salvation. So let's look at 1 John chapter 1. We'll just read through the chapter and then we'll dig into it a little bit. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life, uh, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your, or if you see the footnote, can be translated, our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not with us. And I'll read the first couple of verses of chapter 2 as well. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. 
One of the things that was creeping up in the early church in the first century was, was forms of Gnosticism, uh, and whether that be adding something to the gospel, adding something to the message of Christ that in order to be saved or have fellowship with God, you need to have something special revelation, something outside of the word would be a form of Gnosticism. Another form of Gnosticism that, was, that uh, scholars say was coming up was a group of people that they believed that Jesus was just a spirit, that he didn't come in the flesh. So the first thing that we see that John's going to address is he's going to address the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. When we see word of life at the end there, he's referring to Jesus. It's the same word logos, the Greek word logos that's used when John describes Jesus in John chapter 1 in the Gospel of John where he says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him not anything was made. In him was life and the life that was the light of men and verse 14, and the Word, that Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he touches that which was from the beginning. It's, he's talking about the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. He's etern- the eternal nature of our God. In Revelation, it talks about who was, who is, and is to come. You can only be eternal if you were, and is, and are to come. Everlasting, from beginning. Gener- generation... Genesis chapter 1, and God created, and God, he was there. Jesus Christ, the word of life from the beginning. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that says, in regards to the deity and Jesus being there and God from the beginning, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Mind that Jesus is God. He's a fully active member of that Godhead, the Trinity that we'll probably never fully understand. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, an active member. So that which was from the beginning, the word of life, the word that gives us abundant life, eternal life. And then John goes and he hits these guys who are saying that Jesus was nothing more than a spirit and he hits them with the humanity of Jesus. We have to remember that when John was writing this letter, he was one of the last eyewitness, uh, or eyewitnesses uh, who walked with Jesus. They figure that John was probably 15, 16 years old when he started hanging out with Jesus. He would have hung out with him in those that late teen years. So now he's an old man. There's not many people left that were walking the streets, and especially those who are hanging out with Jesus, serving alongside him. So he starts out, and so he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, is the first thing he says. He reminds us of the words that Jesus spoke. He reminds us of the teaching. When I think about the words that Jesus have spoke, all I need to do is take a quick thumb through the Gospels, and just if you just grabbed a few highlights... You think of the words that are recorded, his declarations, 
No one comes to the Father except through the Son. The declaration that He is God. I think of the Sermon on the Mount, those Beatitudes that He preached. The blessed is the poor, blessed is the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. His commands, I think of, I think of Him giving purpose and calling to our lives, calling us to be salt and light, giving us purpose. Those words, I think about His his compassion. I think of, you know, remember the story of the, of the, the lady found in, a, in adultery and all the guys were going to go and stone her because she was found in adultery and Jesus came and they said, well, what, what do you say? And he says, the first one of you who is without sin, throw the rock and all from oldest to youngest left. And what did Jesus say? And I, I too do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. Compassion and truth the words that Christ spoke. All his parables. Think about it, the practicality of his teaching. I, I mentioned this from our Israel trip. It struck me the, you know, how practical Jesus' teaching was that when he said it's be better for a millstone to be th- tied to your neck and thrown in the water than send one of these little children uh, astray, he was standing in Capernaum where they made millstones. The practicality of his teaching. John saying, we heard this. We heard him teach these things. It's real. He says, then what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon, what we physically saw. John continues on in his testimony of what he saw. Can you imagine hanging out with Jesus for those three years? I don't know if any of these disciples were at the wedding in Cana because it was before he called his disciples, but maybe they were. Maybe they saw water turn to wine, but they certainly saw the healing of the blind, the healing of the sick, the calming of the seas, his power over nature, walking on water, multiplication of food. They saw his prayer life. You know, I always say that I'm challenged by Paul's prayer life, but Paul's prayer life is not Jesus' prayer life. Could you imagine of seeing Jesus, the testimony of prayer in his life? What about how the people responded to him? The crowds flocking to him. He, they saw, he saw this. He saw the reality of this man walking and teaching. What about Palm Sunday and seeing the crowds coming in saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, laying down their cloaks and the palm branches. And those very same crowds several days later saying, crucify him, crucify him. He stood there and he watched Jesus be nailed to the cross hung on the cross. He was there when Jesus said to him, there, your mother, your son. They were there when there was darkness over the land when Jesus died, when he gave up his spirit. When the curtain was torn in two, they saw it. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the resurrected Savior. He came back and ate with them. Can you, can you continue to teach them? Could you imagine of being the man, one of the men standing there when Jesus ascended into heaven? He watched it. He saw it. Not only did he see with his hands, I like, I like the idea of we looked upon. To me, it gets this idea of this intense um, study of what we've seen. He's seen it. And then he says, which we have touched. 
You know, someone could be on an argument that he's just a spirit, you know, even with the words and all this stuff. But we have touched. This is an absolute declaration that Jesus was flesh and blood. No ifs, ands, or buts. I think about, you know, it must have been interesting. You're, you're one of the disciples and you're cruising along. There's at least, at a minimum, 13 of you guys cruising everywhere, plus whoever else was all coming along in tow. These guys, they lived together, they ate together, they did ministry together. You know, someone must have been the clumsy one who was always tripping and falling on the other person. They touched him. Someone must have spilt coffee in Jesus' lap and Jesus spilt coffee in their lap. It doesn't take much of a stretch of imagination to see that these guys playing and the, if you've been on the Sea of Galilee, there's great beaches. Maybe they were playing an ancient version of beach volleyball. You know, full contact. He was fully man. You know, he, we, we know that he was a craftsman, right? He was a carpenter. I bet you he hit his nail a few times. Those of us who work with our hands know what it's like to have black nails and nails falling off and big cuts. They would have seen that. They would have seen him bleed. They would have seen him work. They would have seen him lift. They would have seen and touched him. It's a testimony that Jesus was a real man. They might have even had the odd, you know, the man thing. Uh, we won't quite hug, but we'll do the shake, you know. We've touched him. He is real. Not only was Jesus real and in his flesh, he was real in life and bringing abundant life. Go, Paul, or Paul, I'm used to teaching out of a letter of Paul. John goes on, he says, the life was made manifest. We have, again, he reiterates, we have seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. When I think of that life, I think of that abundant life that Christ brings. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I, speaking, Jesus speaking, have come that you may have life and life to the full. That's life for now, today, that we can have purpose, that we can have joy, and life eternal, that we will go to be with him one day, spend time in heaven for the rest of eternity with purpose. The idea of manifest is that idea of something being brought to light, something that was previously hidden, like Jesus revealed to these guys what life was. Life for here, life eternally. Life that comes from the Father and is given to us as a gift. A real God that was fully man and fully God. From the beginning, but still could play a good game of beach volleyball. So he sets up and ta- tells us who Jesus is, the reality of his humanity, the re- reality of his deity. And then he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, in two and a half verses, three times he says, we have seen Two times we have heard, and once he said we have touched. This is a, sometimes I forget when I'm reading the word that I'm reading a first-hand account of events. I'm not reading mere stories or mere fables. I'm reading first-hand account. 
This is John's firsthand account of what he saw. We saw, we heard, we touched. He's real. His words are real. We've seen the power. So the rest of the book of 1 John, he's going to be proclaiming truths about who God is, truths about the reality of our sin nature, truths about the reality of repentance, and truths that we can know God and have assurance in our salvation. That's what he's going to proclaim to us. I find it, I, I love how it says, so that we too may have fellowship with, so that you too may have fellowship with us. We talk about fellowship. I know Matt's talked about it recently. And uh, I wasn't here that Sunday, and I intentionally did not listen to his message because I was thinking about this. So if I say the same thing or a different thing, I intentionally didn't listen. But the word koinonia is the word that we see here. It's the word fellowship. It means to jointly participate, to be in communion with. I think um, we were talking before the service, and we were praying about that we would be in 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 step with God, that we would be like, like bound to him like a three-legged race, that we're in the joint participation, doing the same thing, going the same way, same mission. You know, we don't necessarily fully have a great descriptor for the word koinonia in our English language or maybe even fellowship. I was listening to one pastor and uh, he was talking about the word koinonia and fellowship and he said, you know what, it's kind of like cahoots. We all know what cahoots means, but none of us can quite describe cahoots. It's kind of like we're in cahoots with one another because he's in cahoots with the Father who's in cahoots with the Son. We see, we see these things and we proclaim these truths so that we can be in cahoots with one another. And what is his how is he in cahoots with? So pretty soon, it's like we got the three-legged race, you know, man to man, to God, to the Father, God. We got, we got a legged wall going on. We're all tied together. We're in harmony together, working together in cahoots. I kind of like that word. I don't know why. So he wants us to have fellowship. He wants us to have true fellowship amongst one another, and a fellowship amongst one another that's rooted in God gives us fellowship and grows our fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what He says here. Sometimes it's easy to want to break fellowship, to get tired, to get weary, to get worn down. You know, I get there some days. I don't want to, I don't feel like going to church today, or I don't feel like. Sometimes I'll admit. Six o'clock in the morning, Wednesday morning, when my alarm clock goes off, and I, I go, "Oh, I could roll over," but I'm gonna go in fellowship with those guys, and eat some of Sam Blake's good food. Sometimes it's not always easy to join in fellowship, in joint participation, doing the same thing, being on mission, one another. But there's Hebrews tell, says it beautifully about some of the benefits of when we fellowship with one another and therefore fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may stir one another up to love and good works, not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. 
when we're in fellowship, when we're in cahoots, in that legged race strapped together, it's really much easier not to waver and wander in our faith, to hold strong, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know, uh, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for, for preaching, teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness. I love the verse that follows it, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have a purpose that God has called us to. Our fellowshipping together, one another, working together, one another, helps us fulfill the purpose he has set out for us. It keeps us sharp, as Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron. Sharp and on mission. I think it's, we can't miss the relation, the relational aspect of John's writing. The first couple verses here that we've looked at, we see that he's heard and he saw and he touched. He saw, he was there. He is, he's going to talk in the rest of the book, really. This chapter is almost just a setup for the rest of the book. But he's going to talk about things in our life and understandings that keep us in close fellowship with God. He is going to be laying out the tenets and doctrine that his fellowship from John the man to God the Father and his son Jesus Christ, that close-knit relationship, he's going to lay out these things for us. Stuff that needs not be added to or taken away from. His wisdom and understanding and ability to proclaim truth is based on that vertical fellowship he has with God the Father, that intimacy, that communion. And the whole purpose of, of uh, the whole purpose of his writing, it's a huge theme within the New Testament, is joy. Verse 4 says, and, that, and we, we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. A fullness of joy. That complete is that finished, from start to finish, a culmination of our joy. You know, I, I, was, uh, I mentioned Romans chapter 5 earlier. In my quiet times, I've been um, taking an intentional, very slow read through the book of Romans and taking more notes than I have in a while and rereading a lot of chapters. And I'm reminded that my joy and my righteousness and my justification and all these things before the Lord is not to do with me. And when I start thinking about that Jesus shed blood is the only thing that makes me right before God, I suddenly changes my mindset on my joy and where my happiness or where my true joy is found. Doesn't always mean I got a smile on my face or don't go through tough things, but I have hope for the future because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants us to walk in complete joy, fullness of joy. It's actually humbling. It puts me in my place when I think about that blood of Jesus. When I think about the fact that my righteousness is not about me. Anything that I can do or say or be is kind of like a pile of dirty, oily rags. But then he starts out in verse 5. And he starts giving us these tenets to live by. Tests for our faith. Truths about God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness, none at all. You know, uh, 
we look outside, if you would have been here at, I don't know, 8.30 this morning, the sun shone in these windows so bright that we couldn't look that way. And those of us who are sitting this way, looking that way, could barely look upon the faces of the people there. Light came through and pierced the darkness. I'm reminded that uh, in, sec- in the book of 1 Timothy, it tells us that God is, is, is in... Um, I didn't write down the whole quote, but that, the text, but that God is, is, is in unapproachable light. That God is light. In him, there's no darkness. I think of the contrast from, from light to dark. It's just an incredible difference. It's a great word picture that's used in Scripture between good and evil, light and dark. In him, there's no darkness. One guy that I read, uh, one quote, he said, you know, there, if we look at the sun, there's kind of spots that are of darkness that aren't as bright as the other. You know, our physical sun, Jesus there, and God the Father in searchable light is perfect light. There's no flaws, there's no blemishes, there's no dark spots. Light, good, truth. I think of the, there's the warming nature of God's light as there is with the warming nature of our physical sun that we see here. When we for those of you who are sitting along that edge, you're getting a bit of a suntan on this side. And you're warm, at least on that side. As the sun shines in and lightens and warms us, as does the love of God and his kindness and mercy and grace towards us. There's a searching element of light. I was sitting in my house <clears throat> working on trying to pieced together my thoughts on this passage, and I was looking at my wall. Sounds very exciting, doesn't it? And someone has not done the best drywall repairs. We just moved into this house and have not done the best repairs. Now, if I turn all the lights off or it's really dim, you don't notice it. But you know, when I turn the light on, especially the lamp against the wall that shines on the wall, it reveals the blemishes. If you're actually doing drywall repairs, you'd grab a fluorescent light bulb and you'd put it right at the bottom of the wall, get this light up the whole wall, and it shows everything. I think of God's light shining in our lives as it reveals my blemishes and flaws. I'm reminded of his goodness and mercy and grace. I'm also reminded that eternally there will be no more physical sun. In Revelation 22 talking of heaven, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. Light, purity. Remind that the scriptures tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. When I think of light, and I think of God's light and God's love, I think of them hand in hand. Cast out fear, just as light casts out the shadows. So God is light and him is no darkness. And then we get this test, the next verse, we get this test. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We say we have fellowship with him. If we say that we are bound with him in the three-legged race while we're 
off wandering in the darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. I, when, I, when I see the words practice and I see the word walk in the same verse, in the same sentence, my mind kind of melds them together a little bit. I think of, pra- of walking as there's some element of practice, some element of intention. I'm not, not here to say that, that those of us who are having true fellowship with the Lord will never sin again, will never have any mistakes, never have any slip-ups. But we're not going to be intentional to be walking in the shadows hiding out with the, the devil, sneaking off. You know, uh, when we were in, in Philippians, I, I made the, you know, we keep on coming against these things between are we saved by grace alone, but there's this element of works, and we keep on struggling with it. And I, I remember thinking that it was like, like me e-filing my taxes to saying this is what the deal is, and they're asking for substantiating documents. My walking in the light, my good works, or the change in my life is the supporting documentation for what I say. If I say I have fellowship with the Lord, does my life match up? doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. doesn't mean that we don't have to come to the cross every day with that. But does my life match up? Am I being warmed by the light of Christ or hiding in the shadows? He says, if we walk in the light, if we're trying to walk out of the shadows and we're trying to walk in that warmth of that light where we can see the stones in the path, then we will have true fellowship with one another, he says. We'll be able to move forward as our many-legged race is all tied together. And the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us. I love that image. When I think of the Old Testament, I think of the sacrifices, the sacrifices required for our sins and all those things, that Jesus has fulfilled that. He has perfectly fulfilled that. One guy I was listening to, he made the comment about maturity. He said, maturity as a believer is sinning less and repenting more. I thought, wow, isn't that true? The longer we serve the Lord, the longer we, we intentionally walk in the light, the more that light also reveals the blemishes and we recognize our failings and we need to bring it to the cross. Sinning less and repenting more. I'll read that bit of Romans 5 again because it just talks so beautifully about how we've been justified by the blood of God. For while we're still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this way. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Reconciliation by the blood of Christ cleanses our sins. He carries on and he says, but if we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not much commentary we can put on there, but Romans tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all still f- struggle with sin. 
hearts as we're in our flesh. But he carries on and says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the promise in that verse. It's such a great promise. And I think of it in terms of the fellowship that John's talking about. Fellowship with the body, fellowship with God and his son. If I confess my sins and keep short accounts with my God, not only is he going to forgive my sins, but I'm going to have true fellowship with him. That fellowship's not going to be broken to keep short accounts. He wants to cleanse me from all unrighteousness by that washing of my life with his blood. It says, if we, have not si- if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Not one of us can ever say we've not sinned. Not one of us can probably ever say that we'll not sin again as we're still in our fleshly body. We're still tied in this sinful world. Somehow we're called to be in the world but not of the world. And I think about this passage and, and I just think about that idea of, of intentionally not walking in the shadows, intentionally walking in the light with my Lord, letting him warm me, letting him purify me. And if I say I didn't sin and still don't, trip up every once in a while, accidentally trip into a shadow once in a while. I'd be lying. I'd even be, be making him a liar in a way because he says if his word is in us, we'll recognize that we are not perfect. I just want to close the last little bit with the first bit of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, which we all do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. I love that. We have an advocate. Tells us that we have a great high priest who intercedes on our behalf before God the Father. He is righteous and I am not. But he paid the price, the propitiation for my sins. I love that about my Lord, about our Lord. When I think of this first chapter, I think of that idea of fellowship, of fellowshipping with God, fellowshipping with our fellow brothers, and this idea that these things keep us in fellowship with our brothers and our God, that we remember who God is, that we remember his goodness, we remember that he is light. We don't have to add stuff to the gospel. We don't have to add stuff to Jesus. He's... John is going to proclaim to us as we walk through this book the message that Jesus taught about who he is, about what he has done, and that we can have eternal life with him. Amen? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that we can have eternal life with you, Lord. Um, we, uh, We just thank you that we have you as our advocate. Because, man, without that, 
I don't deserve anything, Father. We just thank you that you sit before the throne of God and intercede on our behalf. Father, I pray that you would help us to walk in the light as you are light, Lord. I pray that you would keep us from stumbling into the shadows. Father, I pray that you would help me to keep short accounts with you, Lord, because you are faithful and true. And we just thank you for your goodness and the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name.